This is Purple Radio On Demand. another episode of the female gaze um we are coming to you today in person for the first time which is very very exciting so we hope exams and everything went really well um and on the topic of exams we are today starting with another little episode on our favorite subject chloe english literature yay exciting so excited this week we are joined by some of our nearest and dearest and we have two of our course mates joining us we've got anna Hello. And we also have uh, Eleanor, who appeared on our Housemates podcast as well. They're obsessed with me. (laughs) That's that's the truth. Hello. How are you doing, everyone? Well, thriving, surviving. Me too. We're all a little bit delirious because this is the first time we've seen each other since post-exam. We did a lot of kind of trauma together. A lot of emotional support on the group chat. Um, yeah, but we're, we're very, I think we're all very glad they're over and that we can talk about them now. And I wish I could do some more. <laughs> do you, Anna? Well, that's yeah, why we've got the podcast. I'm sure that can be, sure be arranged. Reading so much. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I think we uh, we should go to the, the age-old question. Mm-hmm. Chloe, who is your woman of the week? Since we're doing a English episode this week, I thought it would be a really lovely idea to return to some of my roots and uh, look at the poet HD. Um, I spoke about her in some of my exams for our American poetry exam, but HD was this wonderful um, modernist poet in probably the 50s. I wasn't paying attention that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say like the 40s and 50s, um, kind of around the time when Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot, William William Carlos Williams was writing. Um, and she did really kind of gorgeous poetry that went on to be labelled by Ezra Pound as Imagiste. So it was this movement that looked to kind of uh, retaliate against the Romanticism movement. And it looked to counter any kind of excess of emotion or sort of like lack of sensibility. And Pound was really big on having, you know, really simple details and simple kind of descriptions and said, said to her you know he submitted her poetry under the the pseudonym hd and said that she was part of this movement even though some of her later works kind of go on to contradict the idea of like a neutral poetry um and she's just fab like i would suggest for anyone to kind of check out um sea garden which is one of her earlier collections but also um like her helena of troy and kind of greek mythology involved poetry um and she has beautiful beautiful scrapbooks as well uh that kind of document her journey with her later partner briar i think was her name um <laughs> but yeah um and maybe the first time I've done a poet for my woman of the week? I don't, maybe, maybe that not. Really is, that's wow, a that's surprising. I want to say, I've been caging it till now and suddenly it's like broken we, out. We did, do, um, we did do The Hill We Climb and, and stuff. Yes, so, we had um, Amanda Gorman, we? did we? Amanda Gorman. Yes. Um, but no, that's really exciting and, and such a good suggestion. I've had rumours um, from some other people in the room, Chloe, yeah. that you might be Uh-oh. considering printing a poem for our bathroom next year. Oh yes, it was me. I'm the people in the oh, room. I've oh, did you say that? Oh, I got sent. Room. I've been sent the poem. What poem is that? That's that's which poem? Chandra Cisneros. 
Oh, is that another oh. American? That's who, that's who the poem is. I by. thought it was one of your poems. She's a cracking Can you poet. write poetry on the tiles? Cockney Lycos, not poets in the world. I think you need a We are going to write our play about bathrooms. As we well. are going to write our play about bathrooms. There will be so many little mm. points of information You've across the bathrooms. You've heard it here bathrooms. first. The bathroom's the place to be in our house mm. next year. Yeah, mm. yeah. Stunning. What, was so the poem, what is the poem in question from American poetry that is going to bathrooms? Sandra, Sandra Cisneros. What is the poem? It is down there. It's about. Is this the period poem? Menstruation. Is this the one with really? the real icky? Yes. It's all about strawberry jam. Oh yes. What language? Very in? English. Really? English. Yeah. yeah. There we go. There's lots of poems for you guys to go and have a look at then if you if you are in the mood. What about um, you, Lauren? Woman of the week. Woman of the week. So also kind of sticking with our exams and and having a little think about women who I'm going to say got me through these exams actually. Aww. Um me? and. Other than, to be fair, I will shout out to Anna Pycock for yeah. feeding and housing mm. me in my, my final yeah, exam. She I was, did do that. She was a king of kings, angel yeah. in, in a time of death. I'm five foot She's nine. a big angel, a very nine? big angel. I have a house, angel in the house. Yeah, the, the, the little gang got me very much through exams. But back to writing women oh, yeah. as such. Um, and I think it's something we'll go on to talk a, a bit about later in the podcast is this idea of like um, female writers having to have a USP in the first place mm. um, and the fact that only like one person can occupy space one person can kind of occupy a certain space and so I've got two women that I wanted to kind of point out uh, the first of which being Catherine Mansfield who if you mm. haven't read her short stories go and read her short stories she is excellent she's just an exceptionally talented um, <clears throat> writer and she was writing around the same time as Virginia Woolf and, and along very similar lines about sexuality and um kind of the post-war world and, and all those sorts of things. And she gets very much forgotten because of that, I think. Um, and she just, I, I love her work and I very, very much enjoy writing on it. Um, so yeah, she's one of my women of the week. The other being Anne Sexton, because I think she yes. suffers a very similar fate um, along the line, alongside Sylvia Plath, um, who again, Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath, also great writers, please go and read their work too. But I think Anne Sexton and, and Catherine Mansfield kind of get pushed aside because they they also did very similar things, but were perhaps not the biggest name out of the two of them. Um, and their work is exceptional. So if you are looking for things to read, um, Bliss by Catherine Mansfield is my favourite of the short stories. And then Her Kind by Anne Sexton. Um, awesome poem. Give it a go. So yeah, mm. there's my Women of the Week. Anna? Yes? Have you got one? Oh, I have, Lauren. I did my homework Good. to be on this podcast. <laughs> um, my Woman of the Week. Oh, this is so cool. My Woman of the Week is um, actually a relative of mine. Ooh. I know. It's my, this is my one claim to fame. This is my fun fact of my life. Um, my great-great-aunt on my mother's side is um, a woman called Ethel Lena White. Um, and she was a crime writer in Big Up Ethel. Big Up Ethel. Um, <laughs> in the sort of 30s and 40s in London. Um, and she wrote a lot of crime novels. And one of them, very famously, well, not actually very famous. It's a very famous film. One of the, one of the novels got turned into um, a Hitchcock film, which mm. is uh, it's called the, the film is The Lady Vanishes. The novel is The Wheel Spins. Very famous film, That's The Lady Vanishes. So it is so cool. It is, yeah. You're famous. I am famous. Um, yes. Big legend. Big legend. Big up my mum's Ethel. I know. Big I thought it was a great job. So yesterday I did my homework. I called my granny while I was walking home. Oh. Uh, I did some I did some homework on her. She yeah, she came from Abergavenny, Wales. Ooh. She was like one of like ten siblings. 
and her and her sister moved to London to do like secretarial work to be secretaries in offices and eventually she wrote enough like short stories mm -hmm. that she was able to quit that job and be a writer um and she was she was a big legend her and her sister never 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 got married they lived together in London and they had a lot of cats. My granny was very clear that everyone on that side of the family are big cat people. Mm. This has very much trickled down she to me. You're very related to her then. Mm. I am. I am very One the same. Yeah. My granny said it was very exciting. Obviously, for, for rural Wales, it very was a exciting. big time when the film came out. It was the London aunts would come to visit. It was a big deal. They went to the cinema. My granny was seven. <laughs> she said it was very, she said she got to sit next to her on the balcony and it was very exciting. But anyway, yeah. So, but we also, it was, Anna and I had a conversation about this did. briefly yesterday and you were talking about Agatha Christie. Oh, and yeah. The yeah. Similar relationship. Yeah. Well, it was very much her, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, very much her and Agatha Christie who were the sort of the crime writer women of mm. the sort of 30s and 40s but ag again as we were talking about sort of women writers having niches yeah Agatha Christie was the one that sort of survived history yeah yeah, yeah. um my granny also wanted me to point out that um Agatha Christie's heroes are all men and Ethel's heroines were all women all her books were about women yeah as like the central even though, queen. Yeah. yeah yeah interesting that oh. Christie's were the ones that survived exactly. then yeah. that being very, a very pointed yeah. thing very interesting because you know it wasn't it wasn't that easy to just go off and be a writer no in the 30s no. in wales <laughs> no so there you go there's yeah. some literary heritage literature runs through my veins you do you like books? i love to read so very much <laughs> i will one up anna oh because really? no. my woman is my grandma and she was in the renaissance time <laughs> So I beat you, Anna. Um, not true. It's all a prank. <laughs> it's a bit of a disclaimer. You've been pranked by the prank She is from the Renaissance times. Her name she's is not your grandma. She's not my grandma. <laughs> not related anyway. She's Italian. Um, I don't. Perhaps. Oh. Actually, maybe for, she's maybe. for the yeah. benefit she may be. she's Italian. She, I think, she actually might be Italian. How do you know? I think she might because be the Renaissance. Yes, yeah. okay. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're all very, very well learned on the. Uh, oh yeah. On yes. The Renaissance so this is how I discovered her. Um, she, her name is. Sorry, I haven't said her name. Her name's Amelia Lanya, um, and I discovered her pre-Renaissance exam. Mm. Um, because I was reading a little bit about Milton, my love of my life. That is a fact. Little tiny Milton. Milton I don't know what, he's not my woman of the week. The reason, the thing about Milton is his presentation. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot like, welcome to your woman of the week. <laughs> <laughs> this is related to Amelia Lanya. So just obviously his presentation of the woman, Eve, is very questionable for a modern audience um for a modern reader so the thing about Amelia Lanya that was so refreshing was that she has this reimagined version of the fool which could actually be a response to Milton's um mm. that is very much centered on the woman as blameless whereas Milton emphasizes the woman's role in the fool and how essentially there's a historical continuum of women essentially leading men astray mm. um whereas Amelia Lanya says actually uh, Eve's decision was empowering and she did it out of love and she did it because she wanted to gain knowledge so it was her ambition um rather than her being this horrible person who leads everyone astray um and yeah essentially 
Eve did it because Eve gave Adam the fruit because she loved him and she wanted him to experience this level of knowledge that she had experienced. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really refreshing, especially for a Renaissance writer. And also she was one of the first English women to publish a volume of original verse, um, which is- You just said English, English. woman. English woman. She is English. She's English. She's Italian. I've just seen that she's English. Ellen is Italian. Um, she's English. She is definitely English. Um, and also could have been Shakespeare's inspiration for the Dark Lady in the Dark Lady sonnets. Oh wow. So that is another good fact. But Very yeah, she's she's good and great. And I quite like the idea of the woman mm -hmm. giving the men the knowledge. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Mm -hmm. It's very, very That is empowering. what the female gaze is. That is what the female gaze is. <laughs> It um, is the forbidden fruit. So we've also decided on a collective woman of yes. the week, haven't we? Yes. yes. Um, which is our lecturer, our lecturer Barbara Ravel. Ravel Hofer. Just Barbara. Just, just Barbara. <laughs> Barbara. Barbara. She is um, great. She is amazing. She's like been mold she's convened multiple modules this year mm -hmm. she's taught on almost every module i've yeah. done this year yeah um and we all think she's amazing she's yeah. she's very much kept the department yeah alive mm -hmm. and year, I, I mean done it remote i know everyone's doing it remotely but she's done it from italy yeah uh, from rome as well right. which is particularly impressive um, we're not jealous at all no. <laughs> like, oh, sorry guys i'm just in rome that's fine barbara <laughs> i wish um, i was you <laughs> But yeah, she's amazing. So shout out to Barbara also. Cool. I thought it'd be nice if uh, we could discuss our experiences doing English at uni because English is obviously quite a student population wise, a female dominated subject. So I think it's something like 70, 30. Um, I hope it's 80, 20. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's lady it's heavy. It's definitely very lady heavy. Um, which is interesting because so much of what we're consuming a little bit less so this year, but particularly last year when we had um, staple modules. So. <laughs> Um, sort of older stuff like myth and epic or even intro to poetry, intro yeah. to novel. Yeah, all the big like intro to poetry, novel, drama. Mm. Yeah, you had like Many huge men. male figures, yes. white male Many figures. Men. Many men. Many men, men, men. And it's, it's kind of, it's very weird for us to consume um, being like female readers or female writers um, and obviously carrying our female sub subjectivity to what is very obviously a it's like a it's a weird dynamic i think um mm -hmm. because you've got a so if you picture a lecture theater doing english you've got a audience as such filled with women mm -hmm. and almost always the academic at the front is a man yeah. talking about a man and the way mm -hmm. that man portrays women yeah. um, because i think a lot of the essays we've written over the last few oh years have been God. about like yeah. women in these texts i mean yeah. i all think all my essays about feminism. women yeah mm -hmm. i manage it yeah but it's all of those things are being taught to us from a perspective of mm -hmm. a man. So it's, it's a very interesting dichotomy, I think. Mm -hmm. But also I completely agree about the texts as well. It's not just the people teaching, it's the texts. Like I only discovered about Amelia Lanyard because I, you know, took that decision. Sort her to, out. Yeah, mm -hmm. I tried to discover her because I don't think I, were we taught about a single um, female? I think there was, I think there was like one lecture on female writers in the Renaissance. But it was so it's female like, writers yeah, in the Renaissance. It's, yeah, it's, like ticking, a box. it's yeah. ticking a box yeah. when actually there were definitely figures out there because mm -hmm. she was amazing. Um, so that is quite And even I think as well, like people, I, I really, feel like stuff like George Eliot and stuff like that we're not told they're women for a I really long time. I made some very silly mistakes mm. in tutorials when George Eliot, he and everyone and everyone's and like you know you know that's a woman. Yeah because no one told me that's the thing, what was I meant to know. All these people are writing under pseudonyms and stuff like that and it's mm -hmm. definitely not made 
clear i feel like we should call now that we know their real names and why they're writing under pseudonyms yeah. like, we should mm. call them by their yeah. their real names um and those things are yeah very interesting i think we, it's a very interesting perspective to approach mm. literature from but then i guess you also have to acknowledge why like the kind of circumstances of which they've had to co-opt those male names for so for people like george Eliot or even like hd right where it's a very ambiguous like um initials don't kind of mm sort of articulate either way or if they did they would kind of be assumed to be like a male male preferential um it i think maybe it was in the woman in the attic essay i want to say it's like oh, Gilbert 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 Gilbert, yeah. where it said basically what female writers are forced to do is they're um basically forced to be like men mm-hmm. or forced to go down the route of being the hysterical woman so mm-hmm. writing as the hysterical sort of that's very interesting, that yeah. idea, because if you think about um, particularly women who've done well in the last kind of hundred years, you very mm. much either have people having to emulate or you have people like Sylvia Plath who mm. have had to very much accentuate mm-hmm. their sort of like hysterical yeah. womanness. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, over female sexuality. And mm. so you're kind of, you are stuck in like this double bind of, well, where do I exist if I, if I can't, if, mm. if I sit outside of these, mm. these two binaries? Um, if you think about the conversation we had as well, Chloe, a couple of weeks back, back mm-hmm. on the episode with comedy, it's about like why everything has to be gendered as well. Like there, yeah. there's no suggestion of this kind of like non-binary existence of literature in that everybody can appreciate things um, and everyone can read things just for reading them's sake. Like it has to mm-hmm. be like this is a boy's book, this is a girl's book, this is. And yeah. I think that comes from a very early age in, in reading as well. So I, yeah. If you go all the way back and unpick kind of our journey to being literature students, and I, I'm not going to speak for you guys, you guys might feel differently, but I very, very much remember being kind of at primary school and there being like the girls read Jackie Wilson <laughs> and fairy books yeah. and yeah, books yeah, about yeah. animals and the boys read books about footballers yeah, and, yeah. and all those things. And I, I think it's interesting that we. Yeah literature feels like a field that is still very much put into these kind of categories of, of gender rather than just a universal yeah, English lit itself is like a girly subject oh yeah, yeah very much yeah. not only because of the like it's objectively female dominated yeah but it's also just like a soft girly subject which mm-hmm. is interesting because we all feel that as English lit students but I've it's interesting putting that into like a wider discussion the way it's approached by our kind of peers because I've very very much been like put down mm. at university because of the subject I take yeah um I have said this before I I all I like went through a phase last year where I was really feeling like I I was like oh I wish I defied people's expectations because I remember we yeah. were on like a, a social for something mm. and there these people we'd never met and for fun when they were like oh what college do you go to like what subject do you we were like guess mm. what if you just guessed and immediately they were men took one look and went yeah, like English lit, I was like, yeah. And then after I was like, I wish I'd be like, oh, no, engineering, you know? And then yeah. I was like, no, no, wait, why am I talking about that? That's internalized misogyny. Why, like, because I do, I do wish it wasn't like, oh yeah, of course, of course I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I surprised people. And even why silly, do I wish that? Yeah, no, I, I get it. And even silly things like, um, I've had conversations with my male friends even in which we've been talking about like finding different people attractive or whatever and mm. they've been like oh like women in stem like it's just like so attractive they must be so clever and I'm like I'm clever like mm-hmm. just because I don't do science yeah. doesn't mean I'm not clever and and it's yeah very much that kind of 
it's made out and I think we spoke about it on the stem yeah the other way around because they yeah. get kind of fetish, fetishized fetish, like, yeah say that again fetishized <laughs> yeah um and and it it doesn't do any of us any favors no, really with and again mm-hmm. we as women are then pitched against one another mm-hmm. because mm. it's like while they seem sort of like either fetishized or like sort of takes the femininity out of it I feel like we're just seen like basic yeah because mm-hmm. like that's such a that's like the basic girl subject yeah you know very much and also like the fact that then the boys on our course there's a certain novelty to them I definitely find that like in tutorials where there's like one boy mm-hmm. in the group they get to do all the talking or the tutor yeah. refers to them more because mm-hmm. like there's only one of them they're like oh well I was gonna say Ben. I feel like lots of English. There's a lot of Ben's. Hello, all the Ben's. Many Ben's on the English literature course. Yeah, <laughs> but I feel like they they do get like a more prevalent place in in that department. Mm-hmm. But also, I think part of that comes from the fact that when we're looking at female texts by female writers, we're looking at them because they are female as in we only analyze them in terms of their femininity so we don't look at female characters as just characters we look at them as female characters Mm. male characters we look at as characters yeah by writers who happen to be male Mm -hmm. but we really emphasize the femininity Mm. of a female text which Mm -hmm. why can't we just you know detach gender from it like why why does it have to play a role only when it's a female text Mm. Mm. No, that's um, very, very interesting. And I think that then spreads out throughout the whole course and, you know, links on to... Mm. It's like this neutral base point where it's like the norm or the neutral is, is yeah, is the male poet or the writer. Yeah, exactly. The male the white poet. still the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, that's the thing. We're always the other. And this is, like, we've said it before on the podcast, we're, we're very, very open and honest on with our platform I think um, mm. Chloe and I have felt very passionate about being through the whole way through it's not us kind of deterring people from doing English lit at uni no. it's it's wonderful and there are many many good aspects of it and there's yeah. a lot of fun in in studying gender and literature as mm-hmm. well it's, it's very interesting mm-hmm. but I still think there is mm. a decent way to go in that kind of mm. I know lots has been done at the moment to kind of decolonize our our yeah. um kind of modules and stuff like that which is incredibly important but there's also some way to go in kind of deconstructing gender within that as well I think and it's it's an interesting balance to continue to encourage people um, like girls to do English lit Mm -hmm. because often the sort of efforts to get women into STEM can verge into don't I, I once had I, I'm thinking of this time that I had a science teacher and I had him in like year eight he didn't know me mm. I was really into science mm. in year eight I went through a bit of a phase um <laughs> never looked back um <laughs> and I was really really good at science then he was my science teacher then um and then like I saw him in the corridor again like when I just picked my a-levels and I told him I was doing English art and history and he was and he did this whole dramatic he's like oh no mm. oh, but you oh but you had so much and I was like oh wait I'm doing bi- biology as well because I did biology like AS it was like oh but you had so much potential like but how about oh, thinking what you it. like I that's know. so Absolutely. weird I was like sorry that when I was 12 I learned the periodic table okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my dad who will probably be listening will tell you hi hi John there was a conversation <laughs> that we had I, I know exactly where it happened in in Devon that we had it but um <laughs> We were driving over a bridge one day and I had like a full breakdown about picking the right options at A-level. Um, and my dad is a science teacher and I will say it's one of the like most, 
outstanding things he could have done as a parent at that point in that I know that there's probably a little bit of him that would have liked me to do science because that's mm-hmm. what he did and, mm-hmm. and my mum is yeah. reasonably science brained as well and, and all those things but I sat in this car and was like crying because all my friends were going to do science to go and do medicine mm. and I was in a group of friends at school who were all very bright um who also probably been listening hi, hi. guys um and and I felt inferior because I'd decided that I was going to follow my gut and my gut was I loved English and I wanted to do English and my dad was like I sat in this car and I was like I have to switch I have to do sciences I, this is not everybody's every time I told it to somebody at school yeah. they've been like you oh can, you but should. you're so bright yeah. and I'm like yes but I want to do English yeah. and it, they're not inferior subjects and it's a really interesting conversation my dad very much was like Eleanor just said he sat there and was like but you don't want to do science like yeah. just because you can do science you are capable of doing science mm-hmm. doesn't mean you should if you want to do English mm-hmm. um, which was very helpful and has obviously set me on on the right tracks now but it's it's really hard being yeah. constantly told you're inferior for picking because there's this hierarchy and it's so deeply entrenched that there's like oh, it's so yeah. hard to get away from yeah. and it's always going to be seen art, artsy subjects or like mm-hmm. subjects that aren't sciencey subjects are just always going to be seen as inferior and but they're just yeah, not, yeah but without them not, if, and yeah. if we all did science yeah. the world would collapse and you'd yeah. be nothing i feel like you could honestly map them on a graph of the gender split of science of, of subjects and how like hard and respected they seem because I feel like it's like physics maths engineering seem really really hard and then the further down you go the sort of middling ones like sort of biology and like psychology and stuff and then you yeah. get down to the artsy ones <laughs> that are I very have, female dominated yeah. I have friends that have like look, watched me writing an essay and been like wow like that really looks hard like I yeah. Yeah. Gonna, yeah like they just think it's like the assumption is that anyone can do this but not not everyone everyone can do do that yeah I had that really internalized I was talking about this with my housemates who do stem some of whom have featured on the podcast um (laughs) hello Elise um and I was saying and Hannah and Hannah Hannah. but Hannah doesn't do stem I was saying I was saying genuinely genuinely in my head I was like any of you could sit down and do this I really really I still Mm. kind of can't shake the fact that in my brain anyone could sit and do my work I could never do this. And they sat there and were like, no, we couldn't. Like, oh my God. But I think it's a skill set. And like, I think we underestimate the skill set it requires to do Mm -hmm. our subject. But you're right. It's because it's also one of those subjects that everybody does do. Like, you have to do English to a certain level. Yeah. Um, And there's a reason you have to do it. It's it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We respect that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's a very interesting relationship, I think, between those two things. Mm. Yeah. Um, Another interesting topic I wanted to bring up is how we've talked a lot about kind of uh, male perspectives in literature there. I wondered if people had any experiences because I was reading a book this week. Um, well done. By, thank you. It was, <laughs> I'm reading for pleasure. Very oh, weird, very pleasure. weird experience now. Um, but I was reading a book this week by one of, the guy who wrote one of my, my favourite no- novels ever called um, Reservoir 13. And I'm reading his next book. And this is a man who is an adult talking about talking from the perspective of being a teenage girl Mm. and I've often found that dynamic very odd in the Mm. way that men describe being a woman particularly vocalized narratives as well yeah um when they're kind of talking through stream of consciousness and you're you're in their heads um I wondered if anybody else had any kind of experiences or things they wanted to raise there and the way the way women are depicted um in literature particularly through that male gaze which 
obviously relates very nicely to the podcast. Mm. The, the thing that immediately jumps to mind is um, Lolita, um, mm. Nobokov's Lolita, because yeah. you've got you've got a layered narrative. So you've got Nobokov, the writer, writing through Humbert Humbert, the protagonist, who's describing Lolita, who's like a 14-year-old American girl that he goes on to essentially kidnap and take her on a tour across the States away from her parents. Um, And from the very first lines of the novel, I can't remember it, but they're, they're pretty iconic. There's something like Lolita, the tip of her toes, taking a step down the trap. It's like a there's like a pattering that's happening in the words that presents a very certain kind of like delicacy and again this fetishization of like the sort of 60s American teenager with a lollipop in her mouth and you you might have seen it before those Lolita sunglasses you know the heart-shaped sunglasses um that were in trend for a while and the lollipop and the short skirts and like the heart-shaped top and the summer like space buns um and the way the novel goes about presenting Lolita is is really interesting because it kind of it, it it's one of the novels that performs really well. It's a great example of the unreliable narrator, as you were saying. But it it glosses over things like the violence that he shows towards her, the fact that he's kidnapping her, the fact that he traps her and puts her in a hotel room. Um, and at every point, you're kind of being entertained about these events always through Humbert Humbert's eyes and I've and it kind of really brought up to me how I've never felt that and I never really realized that in a book before but you're always given that male perspective the the female or the the female voice is never really um given a voice or given a platform it is always this passive thing that is constantly being perceived and also manipulated manipulated to be co-opted or voluntary or consensual in a relationship even though it not necessarily is and even though those relationships sometimes are incredibly problematic in terms of like in terms of age you've got like a lot of books and films about like younger girls and older guys um that are exoticized and are sort of um projected into our cultural media cultural medium um and again like internalized and it, it's it's something that I think has had a far more has had a far greater effect than than we can really contemplate to mm. this day um it's also you sort of raise that the like sexualization of the normal mm. um which I think comes up in a lot of aspects of life but I think literature has kind of permeated in a, a completely different way mm-hmm. in that it's like silly things so like the, they might be describing like the woman waking up mm, like yeah. I woke up and like I stretched out my arms and I like looked at my naked body and I got yes like, yeah exactly yeah. It's, yeah. it's a very bizarre like oh my God. bringing a very sexual yeah. focus onto very normal mundane yeah. activities um, and I think as well it like it's just a complete misrepresentation like as a female mm-hmm. reading about female characters being kind of romanticizing in this way but just doing like normal mm. life like I didn't wake up and like stretch my breasts don't no, <laughs> no. <laughs> cascade down I'm not nearly as conscious of my breasts as most people, as most people to be. no that's a good quote that's exactly. going in the intro um it's just yeah it's it's a very odd I, yeah. I think it's bizarre that for a long time I think now, particularly from studying literature, I think you start to pick up on those things more because, yeah. like it or not, you begin to analyse the stuff you're reading day to day a lot yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, for a long time, I was just like, 
that's what it is. Like, even yeah. though I know it wasn't an authentic experience to me as yeah. a woman, it just attached I was just like, I was like, oh, but that's oh, how that's books how, are. That's mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. women's books like, no, are. Imagine if man books were like every morning they wake up and they just stare at their <laughs> penis for a while. That would be well weird. <laughs> Like I well, I could I could go on forever about this because this is basically what I'm gonna do my diss on, hopefully, yeah. is the gendering of the voice. Yeah. Um and once you start to notice it, you can't stop. Yeah. Oh my god. Um but it's I, like it's, it's very interesting to read about how there's a sort of even when it's not sexualized, the female voice is sort of commodified as like a literary device. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote about this in my summative. Um I hope that this doesn't matter um, <laughs> no it's fine it's, it's fine um but like how using the female voice and the female narrative sort of allows writers to do sort of different things with it it allows them to take it in sort of more freeing directions mm. than the male narrative because often the male narrative is very like set almost yeah stable it's very yeah. stable it's very set and so when writers decide they want to sort of be creative or experimental they just sort of commodify the female voice to use it in that way yeah very interesting in order to just like step over the line and be a little bit edgy yeah just experiment yeah yeah it's It's bizarre as well because like i said earlier this is in our reading experiences like i can remember reading Mm. like when i was 11 there's Mm. this it's like a ya kind of fantasy series called wings or something like that and even from as early as 11 and this book was intended for like teenagers like even from that age just the depictions of these young female mm. characters yeah were so kind of like hyperbolically yeah sexualized yeah. perverted yeah. in in different ways to age the story it's a very mm. bizarre experience i think as well it affects I, I guess it depends how into reading into reading you are, and probably as a as a young person, I was probably more into reading than the average young person. But it definitely affects your own like kind of conception of yourself. Yeah, conception right? of being a woman and, and what yeah. that means and what that means to a story. Yeah. And there's this whole thing at the moment, which I think is a really interesting thing to talk about. This generally for the wider implications of literature. There's a lot on kind of TikTok and stuff at the moment about like main mm. character being like the main oh, character energy. Yeah. There is this whole thing about yeah. being the main yeah. character and what it quantifies to be the main character. Mm. I just think it's such an odd idea. Mm. Like, surely we are all the main characters in our romantic own yeah. sort of areas, spontaneous. People, but there's this yeah. this trend of like girls, quite young girls as well, like being like, "Oh, I'm not the main character. I'm just the like dweeby yeah. one with glasses who's beside." Yeah. And like putting themselves into stereotypes and like mm-hmm. character forms. And, and it is there's there is an ensemble of women, and those are the women that are in novels. Yeah. When you think about it, like what would if the, if there was, I feel like you mostly see. He is demanding. I feel like um, you mostly see girls and women um, sort of participating in the main character, like things we love as the main character trend, like, and I feel like if we think about what the stereotype of the male main character is, it would be very different. It would just mm. be sort of... But it isn't necessarily a stereotype, I don't well, exactly. think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't think of it. I'm just a no. bland man in the middle of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Men are given the freedom to be for just, each to, to, to each to be different yeah. Yeah. whereas with women we are very generalized i think yeah. in many mm-hmm. ways it's just yeah. like you know and like it's interesting to think obviously think of women as like hysterical and stuff mm. like that all these <laughs> things that we associate with women because mm-hmm. of books it's interesting to think of where those where the roots of that lie mm-hmm. um 
thinking about the Bible and mm, no. going on from like, about the Genesis, Bible. the presentation of Eve, that evil emanates from woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like female sexuality is presented um, as destructive mm. with Milton, going to talk about Milton again, then oh, taking good. the Bible oh, and building on that to then show that that evil, that action of taking the fruit from the tree then has led women to other evil, which is uh, destructive sexuality, um, then leading man down to evil. Um, And then that has fed in and it's projected now into modern literature. Even today, like we still have that narrative that's fed into us from early literature. So it is this massive continuity with the presentation of women and how they're generalized you can um, even go back further than the bible and I, yeah. I have a tendency to do this because i did classics and it i i know a bit about it very limited bit about it but like if you take you it all the way back it. to like Club clocks <laughs> don't do yourself down but if you take it back to like presentations of like penelope and dido and people yeah. like this in like very very classical literature like that mm-hmm. you are given places that you can be as a woman you are given roles that you can perform as a woman the abandoned but that is wife. your role like you are yeah that is what you do mm-hmm. you yeah. don't then be like oh i'm kind of sick of being the abandoned wife actually i'm mm-hmm. gonna take some agency mm-hmm. and leave this castle like mm-hmm. no you are a wife and that yeah. is that is where you you're a wife or a queen or a nurse but that is that is the roles you get to be it is always the woman as the enabler because if you you see like a development from penelope being like the wife that enables uh, Odysseus, Odysseus to come home. Yeah. God, I did class bib. Um, but then you see that kind of go way down the line, and then you have this emergence of the manic pixie dream girl today in Yay. film, which is the kind of sort of edgy girl who's maybe in charge of her sexuality She's and thereby is crazy, like not too crazy has maybe like a little bit of some funky hair going on and basically only exists because she challenges the man or the protagonist's perception about himself and the world Mm. and is like an enabler for him to come to and to come to his own like building's roman story the way he challenges her she challenges him as well is kind of odd because it's like I'm not like other girls. Yeah. Like, oh my Don't god, there's really one guys. other type of girl. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> no I know so many things we can't about go the world. into not like other girls. We'll be here all day. We'll be here oh. all day. Oh, Alaska. Oh, Alaska. Oh, oh, that's John just, Green. Again, that's just like the loss of individuality. It's, it's like there's, yeah. there's, even then, there's two types of girls. There's yeah. girls and, and not girls. like other girls. Yeah. And it's so bad. Like, it's a very bizarre situation. And the frustrating thing is, whenever women, you do see this little glimmer of hope and a woman is given some freedom and and the potential that she's possibly ambitious um it's then something happens where it's like destructive and like Mm. it it causes some sort of damage um and it's just sad because like anytime you get a little glimmer of hope like even in Jane Eyre it frustrates me so much because it's like she could have just lived her life she didn't need to go back to Mr. Rochester. Mm, and yeah. I fancy Mr. Rochester. Oh, well, but at the same time... <laughs> at the same that is time, a well-being fact as we, well. We yeah. knew we'd make it. Eleanor <laughs> often tells people about how, how many, she fancies How many Mr. minutes did we get in before she got here? Quite a lot. <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> but at the same time, I just... It's the fact that she, like, seized her freedom and she was like, do you know what? I am worth more than this man and his woman in her at- attic his mm. attic so i'm gonna go and she goes and it's like wow great she's, she's amazing yeah, she's doing yeah, yeah. Amazing. but then 
She runs back. <laughs> you tried to make sports comments about literature. That's <laughs> very <laughs> ironic. It's like, that's how it feels reading Jane Austen. Oh, Jane Austen. Mm. Um, how was your Jane Austen module, Anna? How was my Jane Austen module? It's Jane Austening. Um, yeah. If there were ever... if. If there were going back to, if there were ever a girly module to take on the girliest course in the girliest, in the girliest, in the girliest world, girly old Durham. No, if there were ever the girliest, (laughs) girliest course to take on the girly, 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 girly. Um, if there were ever the girliest module to take on the girliest course, it is the Jane Austen seminar module. I yes. took it to bash Jane Austen. Um, but it was it. I, like, <laughs> I had, a, I had quite a similar thing. Yeah, of, like I'd get halfway through them, and like heroines like Emma would be like, "No, I'm just not going to get married. I'm yes. going to meddle in everyone's lives." And then she wouldn't. And then mm. I feel like where when it was written, that was like a oh, phew, everything's settled into place. Yeah. I feel mm. like you go. Mm, female a, freedom is compromised it's yeah. compromised to fulfill like a romantic yeah. genre yeah. absolutely mm. and i i love kind of regency victorian period those are two separate things but the continuation between yeah. them yeah. um writing it always have done since i was very very young um love little women all those sorts of things and i read pride and prejudice when i was mm-hmm. like 13 and i've four. never read pride and prejudice listeners same <laughs> i got through the whole jane austen seminar module i didn't get to the that end that was very jane Eyre though like yeah listener, listener i, I never, never read, read pride and prejudice. i never <laughs> read it <laughs> very good um, don't tell julia mandy but yeah i i loved pride and prejudice when i first read it when i was 14 i really really enjoyed Flex. it um i saw a lot of my read it i saw a lot of myself i saw a lot of myself in elizabeth um, and and all those things that you do as a 14 year old English student um, but then the further away you get from that point and the more you analyze her, like the compromises they make within the yeah. story and I think that happens I can't think of a Victorian novel or Regency period novel hmm. that I've read in which it doesn't end up like even in the last two pages north and south Eleanor yeah and I read north and it's south so this year. frustrating it's beautifully done so beautifully done Margaret Hale is a stunning, stunning protagonist. And then yeah. in the last two pages, she goes, oh, well, I'm going to marry you then. It's like they're really? rectifying a problem, the problem being female empowerment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And fixing Ooh. it in the, in the very end. It's like an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just so and you know, then, it's all okay. It's okay, they're they're married. Married. Yeah. And I do yeah. feel like... And Jane Eyre. Yeah. Read her, I married him. I like, literally, yeah. that is the line. I feel like you could, you could look at all of these sort of women writers at that time mm. and... You could make an argument that they didn't really like it because they all shove marriage in at the end. It like yeah. Austin, Austin does internalized misogyny. I mean, nothing really happens in most Austen novels, but she spends so long describing everything. She says, and she never describes weddings. She never, she yeah. barely describes proposals. They are the last five pages. Yeah. yeah, she goes, and they got married. The ceremony was nice. That was all. You know, mm. like, and what that mm-hmm. speaks to more than anything actually is about women having to like curb their own voices and like yeah. make like themselves palatable, yeah. um, palatable for, for yeah. readers mm-hmm. yeah, because exactly. that's why people got across right people people particularly in those eras didn't like the fact that you had these and people hated Jane Eyre like it was, yeah. it was a well-known yeah. fact people hated Jane Eyre yeah and they didn't like the fact that you've got this very very like powerful woman mm-hmm. telling her own story all those sorts of things so then you kind of make it that little bit you know like a little bit of sugar on the outside mm-hmm. of the sour mm-hmm. just to like make people feel slightly better at it Mm. that's the thing like 98 percent is there but then that two percent at the very end is just so frustrating yeah there's almost this 
yeah it's just no it's just perpetuated it's like they would not stop doing that and it's like the story the bulk of the storyline is different but the endings are always the same. Yeah, they're mm. just not really fit. Yeah. yeah. I do think in Austin particularly, it's very, mm. very dramatically ironised. I think yeah, if you really. think about the opening lines of Pride and Prejudice, which are, uh, it's a truth universally acknowledged that a man in possession of a large fortune must be a want of a wife. And you've got this whole, so it's a yeah. comment at the start about what a man wants, a whole narrative about what women want. Yeah. And then at the end she goes, yeah. so the man got what he wanted. Yeah. And, and um, this is in order to you know be a successful female novelist in you know that time you gotta mm. you gotta you gotta find a usb you gotta find a mold and stick to it and jane austen's mold is like very very strongly established it's you know nice little novels about society and people glance at each other across ballrooms and then they'll get married but there's, there's also the the usp of austen in that she always has one very strong woman within it mm-hmm. and that that doesn't go away but the woman just sort of yeah. ends up being like yeah. pinned down by the end of it it's yeah. like mm. right it's the perfect little, Emma, you're it's great, the perfect little balance of like pal- being palatable you know it's and being a little bit revolutionary yeah. which i think is a, a common theme i think you know, i've written yeah, about that we, a lot we we give jane austen credit where credit's due i just don't want to read any of her books ever again that's nice. <laughs> i think it's it is a little bit like changing the system from within so i think there has to be some credit for that Yay. in that you you make minor changes well done jane. to help yeah. make major progress <laughs> And you can't, like, I wouldn't blame the female writers for their oh, endings. No, I no, think they're no. just symptoms do and products yeah. of boss. their societies, and they genuinely are girl bosses, are. as Anna so rightly Every woman we've mentioned has been a girl boss. That's yes. Um, Ethel's yeah. a girl boss. Except for Anna Pycock herself. Oh. She's a girl. She's a not girlies. Girlies. <laughs> I'm um, joking, you're a girl, girl boss. Girl CEO. High five. Yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah, that yeah, was me and Anna. Listener, Listener, I high-fived her. I high-fived her. <laughs> In the face. <laughs> Just English things. <laughs> um, okay, so we've spoken a little bit about kind of issues we have with, with studying literature and all those sorts of things. But what we like to do on this podcast is provide solutions. So I wanted to know, is there anything you guys have read in the last few years that you think other women would benefit from reading or are particularly good examples of literature about women, literature by women? I am right now reading um, Bonjour Tristesse oh, <laughs> by um, Sagon. Sagon, I, can't, I don't know her first name, but it's Sagon. it's a translation from a French. From French. I think it's Francoise. Um, it is. She wrote it when she was sixteen. Oh, mad, wow. absolutely mad. Um, really good. I'm I'm currently reading it, so I, I don't mm, want to say yeah, too much yeah. because I could embarrass myself. It might and, get bad. Yeah, um, but. What from what I've read so far, it is from the perspective of a young girl, and often you have women um, discussed in terms of their conflicts with men and their relationships with men, but here it's very much her being talked about um, in relation to this woman Anne and this other woman Elsa. Her father also plays a role. Father, her dad, papa, papa. <laughs> her dad also plays a role in it, but it is primarily her and this, her relationship with other women, which I don't think you get very much no, in yeah, much literature. Yeah, it is always women in relation to men, so that was quite refreshing, and I feel like mm, very nice. we should do more of that. Uh, anyone else? Any other recommendations? Um, I've I've only got through a bit of what I'm reading. Um, Angela Davis's Women, Race, and Class. Ooh. It's a beautiful little, like quite readable, um, sort of theory. 
so yeah. it's come out like intersectionality in mm-hmm. all of its ways and I found it very nice so far I think in general like you know we've all just finished the old theory module mm. and you know it ha- theory has its has its drawbacks but, I love theory but, so I don't know okay Lauren <laughs> Lauren is alone in that okay. <laughs> theory, yeah. theory um, especially like theory that's sort of because I think a lot of theory is not just not accessible because it's so very hard to read um and you just have to read the same paragraph 20 times but the theory that you can get through and that is accessible is so nice in just being able to put that put that like template onto anything so it's like reading certain feminist pieces of theory like mm-hmm. Gilbert and Gilbert like Gilbert and Gilbert like Simone de Beauvoir that, that I, I remember discovering like the theory of otherness and like mm-hmm. yes yeah being like oh my god and it's still yeah uh, it just makes the most sense ever mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and it just clicks everything into and place loose loose irrigary yeah 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 she was really good in relation to psychoanalysis. Mm. She's really interesting. Yeah, would mm. recommend. Just when you when you get those things that you can then just place on top of, and then then you can make any literature you want. <laughs> or, you, know, you can't make it feminist, but you can read, read it, it as in yeah. your own way. No, that's why I I enjoyed the theory module because I think it made think it explained a lot of things to me that I felt about literature for a long time, particularly stuff of, um to do. I really enjoyed the ideas of new historicism because of the way it related kind of political culture um etc to literature and I think that makes a lot of sense that we read things in the way that we've been brought up and the context of our own lives mm. and slid onto onto literature a lot um but like you said there's a lot of really yeah. great feminist um criticism out there mm-hmm. and I think a really actually accessible and easy place to start with it is the mad woman in the attic yeah yeah so Gilbert and Gubar are are an Angela, excellent recommendation. Angela Davis. And Angela yeah. Davis. Very nice. Um, I feel like it's a very easy place to start with it and to, yeah. to get something out yeah. of it. And on that note, I think um just generally Jane Eyre can be a very interesting place to start mm-hmm. with feminist criticism in particular. And I think reading Wide Sargasso oh, alongside yeah, Jane Eyre is yeah. one of my yeah. biggest moments, like one biggest breakthroughs. Revelation. So I'd always recommend Wide Sargasso to people. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, I, I wish you exceptionally well sorry Ellen. I wish you could skip reading Jane Eyre and just read straight to where it's like as to see but yet no, still mm-hmm. you can't because you have to get everything but, yes but I think oh, it, it changes and talk it's about so intersectionality wonderful. which we have done yeah well. I think it's a a very like fundamental text into yeah understanding those things in particular in terms of like evolution from criticism I would also say um there's like a Gay Archery Spivak does a really interesting essay after The Mad Woman in the Attic that kind of talks about um, why Bertha has to kind of sacrifice herself in order to liberate Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of, like, as Lauren was saying, the intersectionality of feminism and how, like, the black sister has to throw mm-hmm. herself down in order for the white sister to come out unscathed. Um, also, Barbara Christian um, for later stuff after Beauvoir and mm. Sisu is another one. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Helen. Yeah. Helen Sisu. Which is really. The French uh, feminist critics as a body of work yeah. are yeah. good. They're interesting. In contrast to the postmodern yeah. um, American yeah. ones, they're very interesting mm. to contrast. I'm trying to think of other real, like, books that kick-started my feminism. I often think about The Bell Jar. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like I read that one. I was like I'm 17. Yeah, it's important reading. Oh, it is. I haven't read it. Yeah. There you go. Something to read. And Veronica by H.G. Wells is a very interesting look yeah. into what we were talking about earlier with like male gaze on female characters because mm-hmm. Anne Veronica is very much written yes. from the perspective of a very young female character. And it seems by a very not very old by a <laughs> adult male. It's a very interesting mm-hmm. approach to that as well. I recommend that. Yes. Good if anyone cares about poetry, we do. If anyone cares about poetry, these poets are alive, which is super exciting. It's a I novelty love for us. Alive. I love it when they exist. No, um, I'm reading Kim Hai Soon at the moment, who is a Korean poet who is sick, just like the weirdest surrealist stuff. Um, I think the collection I'm reading at the moment is called "I'm Okay, Pig." Um, <laughs> with an exc- it came with a whole voice. <laughs> that's okay. Pig. With an exclamation mark after the okay. Um, oh, that's why. Yeah, yeah, that's why I did the voice. I really got that. It's, it's really good. good performance, Chloe. Thank you. She's like, Sorry, she's a spoken word. She's a spoken word. Um, also, Rebecca Tamash, which I think I've, we've spoken about before for the Galentine's Day episode. Um, and Malika Booker, who is my poetry mentor and it's just like so kick-ass so badass every time yeah i love her to the bits um find all these links on yeah the female gaze podcast yeah well, dot com maybe. no we don't have a website just no instagram. dot com <laughs> embarrassing instagram <laughs> gram only uh yeah yeah send us also send us your book recommendations we'll share them on the story yeah we'll um, do a little poll if they're shorter yeah. than 200 pages anna will read them only if they're shorter than yeah. 200 pages. They're poetry, Chloe will read them. They're poetry, Chloe will read them. We've not even touched on theatre and plays. Oh my god, so yeah. That, expect that in an upcoming episode. Yeah. That's still to come. Um, amazing. Well, thank you guys so much. It's been so lovely to have you. Thank here. you. I'm gonna hey, cry because I have to go. Yes, yes. I'm also oh, very. That sad. was not sarcasm. Oh, Anna sorry, can mine vouch was. for me. I have tears, <laughs> don't I? Yeah, she's yeah. sobbing right I now. I have to. Reader, I am crying. <laughs> Reader, <laughs> she, she cried. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Tune in next week for another episode. Um, and enjoy the sun. Enjoy the sun, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, congratulations to everyone on finishing their exams and Yay! stuff um, and yeah here's looking forward to a brighter summer I think yeah um, amazing well I've been Lauren I've been Chloe I've been Anna I've been Eleanor and we've all been the female games uh, we'll see you next week bye, bye. Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.